Chapter One of the Will and the Way Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. The Will and the Way Stories by Jesse Benton Fremont. Chapter One, The Deck Hand. The boys of Mr. Fountain's school were delighted when he told them he should take them that evening to a lecture in the town. Not that they cared a fig for the lecture, but it was a chance to get out, and in place of the quiet study room there would be the jolly walk by moonlight down the frozen hillside, with slides and snowballing instead of books. Then the bright lecture room gay with all the young people of the town smiling and nodding to them in the telegraph signal way young people knew long before real telegraphs were invented. The lecture itself might have been on astronomy or prehistoric man, and it would have been exactly as welcomed by them. They had no idea of using their ears, only their eyes. But they were surprised into deep interest. A wiry but strong man about fifty years of age began at once to tell them he was glad to meet so many young people, and as they had marched in, their uniformed corps, their bright, healthy looks, and elastic-trained steps, made him see the good preparation they were having for a disciplined and useful future. That he felt it his opportunity to give them in their young and impressionable phase the warning that experience had qualified him to give, and the example of perseverance and will required to regain an upright life, which his experience also qualified him to prove was possible, possible with a steadfast will and God's help. And he told them his story, the story of a pleasant New England home where he too had been a happy schoolboy, rejoicing in winter sleighings and skatings and the cheery home life around the big fire, the happy summers of farm work and study, of his parents' love and pride in him. I was a quick and bright boy, and they thought I would come to a high name, for I loved to study as well as to play. And so his young life went on, steadily upwards, through the home school, then until he was nearly through college. He had grown away from the simpler and loving home influences, and had been made to think many things only manly and like a good fellow, which in the home he had been taught were wrong. But with the wish to be a good fellow, and the unwillingness to lose popularity by refusing to drink, he made the break that let in ruin. Friendly drinks were the beginning of the end. He told of his broken career, the dismissal from college, the distress of his home, his debts, his father's sorrow and anger, his father's death, his own remorse and flight from home as far as he could get to the south, and there of his quick falling lower and lower, from his brief efforts to reform into longer periods of drinking until he found himself so degraded by it that he was finally forced by hunger to take the lowest employment a white man could then have. This was a good many years before our late war, the place of deckhand on a Mississippi steamboat. 
By this he was put entirely among a low and dangerous class of Negro slaves, men whose violent natures or whose passion for drink made them unsafe for usual plantation work. Criminal and dangerous Negroes were not put in jail then. They would have been a loss to the master of the profits of their labor. So he became one in a gang of the worst characters, and, what was then held as worse yet, worked with black men. Under the rough and even cruel control that could be enforced on board the boat, these men were kept in check, to break out at times fiercely among themselves, or on getting ashore, I do not know how they manage now, but in the old day fuel for steam was supplied at frequent landings, where long lines of cordwood were kept ready for the boats. The steamer was run alongside the bank, and the crew rushed to wood up. Often there was a question of speed, a race in fact, between boats bound for the same port, and no time must be lost. So, what with the spirit of rivalry, the cursing, the cracking rawhides of the gangmasters, the eagerness of the men themselves to run off the boat and have a change from their hot work there of keeping up the furnace, and always the vague wild hope of running away, fixed in their minds, the scene was wild. Especially after nightfall, when the furnaces were opened and the glare turned on the bank, and many pine torches lit up the scene of rushing, hurrying, stalwart black figures, naked to the waist and glistening wet with heat. Always the gangs of Negroes sang, quick, wild songs to which they kept time as they swarmed up the bank and ran back with their strong arms filled with the long, heavy wood. Often when the boat was off again, and darkness closed all in, and the strong sound of the engines and rush of the mighty river made the accompaniment, they sang in another way. A wailing chant, sad beyond the power of written music to tell in its suggestive intonations. One subdued, melodious voice sang the recitative broken into by an irregular chorus, harmonized, though so wildly irregular, voices rising, wavering in prolonged lament, calls of rage, of despair, sinking again to the controlling but subdued solo of the leader, the improvisator, who would touch some other chord of feeling that again roused the storm of emotion in a chorus form. I was thirteen when I heard for the last time these true folk songs of a suppressed race, when I saw Doré's illustrations of the lost souls in torment, this singing came back to me as their fit expression to the ear. Young as I was then, it made me shudder and get closer to my father. His favorite place was the extreme bow end of the saloon deck, where he could get the cool rush of the river air as the boat pressed swiftly on. Below, on the projecting boiler deck, were always moving, silent figures, deck-hands tending furnace, and making every chance to get forward into the unheated air at the bow. Fantastic figures, scarcely clothed, gleaming with wet from their hot work, 
their big powerful bodies and naked limbs taking every tone of bronzes in the furnace lights then vanishing mysteriously as they passed into shadow from out this plutonian dark would rise the wailing chant and farther voices took up the lament which passed from entreaty to fury then submission then the low dull recitative continued alone talking was not permitted it might not have been nice for the passengers to overhear but singing was allowed and this was the level to which this educated new england young man had fallen through drink it made him ashamed and angry and he kept intoxicated to forget on the passage up from new orleans he had noticed day after day a passenger always in the same place and always in the white linen clothing common to the hot season looking all the more freshly cool from his fair skin and tawny hair and blue eyes eyes that were often lifted from the little book he carried and seemed to take in the river its fertile banks and the young man fancied at times rested on himself this further angered him he had already realized his degraded position and this contrast made it seem more terrible and hopeless it helped move him to furious passion in his resentment of some indignity put upon him by the gangmaster and there followed a fierce but wordy scene for being white he could not be silenced as the blacks were by the stinging cowhide sleeping off the drunken state that followed he woke near midnight he was on the bare deck at the bow and the moon lit up a white figure standing by him it was the person whose presence had so roused old feelings and made him realize his miserable downfall he sprang up with an oath and was hurrying off when the other held out a detaining hand my friend he said oh how long since anyone had said my friend to him my friend you have evidently had a classical education while you were angry this evening i heard you using expressions that showed you had careful and high training this is not a fit place for you with your education your youth and health you can renew your former life you must leave this boat tonight when we stop at cairo and drop all these associations forever i am not a rich man but i can help you to a start on the upward road and he took from his waistcoat pocket fifty dollars in gold and put it into my begrimed hand said the lecturer he said he had spoken to the captain and arranged it all you will transfer to the louisville steamer we meet at cairo take a cabin's passage begin with self-respect begin this night a new life go to your father and mother and ask their help to keep you in the right way i told him i had helped end my father's life and had been afraid to learn of home find your mother and atone to her a mother will forgive you and love you and when i wanted to get his name that i might some day return him the money he only said never mind that but when you have freed yourself give it to someone needing it as you were 
use it to help another. I felt I could, I would, stop drinking. I did. I left the shameful life behind me when I took the other boat. As the day dawned, I turned my face east and made my way to the old home where I found my mother. And I did atone to her all I could, and her last days were in peace and happiness. As soon as I could, I made my education help me to stand firm and lead others from going down as I had done. It was slow and hard work for a long time to work against myself, but I persevered, and I have now secured usefulness and success as a lecturer on temperance. For a long time I had not the spare money for travel, and when I had it was too late for me to go and see and thank the man who had come to me in the darkest hour like a vision of light. I had found who he was and written to him when I felt myself reestablished, and told him I had passed on his blessed fifty dollars to do for another the good it had brought me. But I grieve that I never saw him again. You all know his name, for he was one of our great senators, and his long life was full of usefulness to his country. He was Senator Benton of Missouri. I charge you, as he charged me, to value education, to profit by every chance for study and reading. Use all your will to live up to the best, to overcome idleness, for it brings temptation and evil. And love and honor your parents, above all the mother. I always feel, he ended, when I tell of this part of my life, that I repay some of the debt I owe to that man of high character, and pray that it may carry with it some of the influence of his strong will. When the lecturer ended, Mr. Fountain rose and asked to say a few words. He was a man greatly respected, and his long-established school had made him so trusted and recognized as a good man and good head of a school for boys that the sons of former scholars were sent to him from all parts of the country. He thanked the lecturer for the interesting talk and felt it would remain impressed on the minds of his pupils, especially the ones who had been listening to a noble action of his grandfather, and he called out one of his young people who came forward blushing but proud. And the lecturer, with real feeling, took the hand of the grandson of his friend, and said to him, and to all young men present, some brief heartfelt words of warning against temptation, and encouragement to hold out the helping hand, and believe in the power of good to triumph over evil, with the aid of a steadfast will and God's help. Was not this a precious and delightful fact of family history to come upon? It had been unknown to me, perhaps to all except the unhappy young man and my father himself, for my father was strong and helping because it was his nature to be so, and could not turn away from need in any form. His own love of study and reading would have quickened his sympathy for a white man working among Negro criminals who yet resented an indignity and used a classic phrase. 
his own practice and teaching were all on the side of temperance and that in a part of our country where public feeling sneered at temperance and where it was held as want of hospitality not to press upon every one young and old wines and strong waters from early morn to night something my father saw while he was a very young man a painful occurrence in a private house so filled his mind with hatred of this mistaken idea of the beautiful grace of hospitality that i have heard him tell how sorrowfully riding homewards and thinking of the scene of shame this had caused he resolved for his part to drink nothing he has told us how he stopped his horse and bared his head and there alone among the trees made a vow to himself not to touch any wine or drink of any kind for five years and he kept his vow to the cooler natures of today this might seem fantastic but people were younger of heart in that time and not ashamed of fine impulses and with my father this good warm nature never tamed down into calculation where he found the dragon of evil to slay End of chapter 1 Recording by Roger Moline